board this morning. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Carlos. And if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and open up to that chapter. Uh, we're actually going to be looking at the first three verses of that section in uh, cha- Jonah chapter 3. You could get that on your phone or you could get that in a physical Bible. We have Bibles and notes in the back. Feel free to go snag those. We are one weekend away from finishing this series that we've been going through this book verse by verse. And the thing that's been so um, cool about it is just watching and recognizing the theme develop of Jonah and the God of the awkward call. This, this fact that, that God calls us into difficult and precarious things, um, recognizing our inabilities and showing that he is stronger than them. This, this book is not a book about look at the role model Jonah, it's, and it's not about Israel going and being someone to minister to evil Nineveh. It's recognizing that in Jonah, you have someone who, the Nineveh is in his, inside of him. This is a book about this man of God who's so far from him. As you're turning um, in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, um, I just need to tell you about something that took place this past week. How many, how many of you are in um, a real life group? Uh, some type of small group? Okay, awesome. How many of you are in like some type of CR step study or master's men or something like that? Okay. Excellent. We're a church that really believes uh, in groups. And, and, um, and that's because when you're taking a step of being someone who's real with God, the action step is to faithfully find a service that you can worship alongside God's people on a, on a weekend service and invite people to that. That's like the action step of the real with God. The real with each other is where we actually step in and don't spectate. We, we sit in groups where we can study something and actually talk about it and, and ask questions, hard questions, and then even have 
have people who are willing to pray for your week. It's pretty awesome. That's that step. And then real in the world is where we say God has called me not just to listen and worship, not just to engage, but actually to engage my world with the gifts that he's given me. And that could be at Manuka Bible Church. It could be outside of NBC. But that, that's kind of the overall strategy of, of, um, of, of discipleship at NBC. But that middle one, the real life group one, it's a big deal to us. And this year, we actually um, started to, we wanted to take all of our church through a two-year curriculum asking the question of what, what is it that we believe every Christian should know? And so over two years, we kind of like went through and, and mapped it all out. And we didn't want it to be something where it's all just like sitting and like having someone teach at you in a classroom. We wanted the settings to be different. So we've, we've had barns, weird, weird barns that we've had as a backdrop, uh, people's living rooms as a backdrop. And one that's coming up is a, a shack that I've, I've wa- looked at on the way to Morris so many, t- you may recognize this, I don't know, but if you're driving from Manuka to Morris on 6, um, right underneath the, the power lines, um, I'm, a, I'm a driver that, that very often looks outside of where I'm supposed to be going when I'm driving. And this is one of the things that I, I've watched and observed. And for 19 years, I've watched this little shack and thought, that is such a cool looking shack. If only I had an excuse to go there and do something. Well, then I had an excuse because we're doing this real life group and we're talking about um, the life of Jesus and how Jesus came down to earth and and that that was, uh, we're always looking for upgrades on our phones, on our cars. We're always looking for for promotions. That was the most, the biggest downgrade demotion in history of the world, that God became man and he made his dwelling amongst us, but that he did that out of joy. And so I'm like, finally, this shack on the way to Morris is going to be featured in something worthy. But there's a big problem with that. See, in order to get to that shack, you got to drive through that field. And that became more problematic than we anticipated. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I got a truck. I can drive through the crazy muddy field. Who, no problem. I've watched TV shows where people do that all the time. I got this. And so I, I drive in. The problem is, is that um, my four-wheel drive got burned out a while ago. And so I'm going, but still, I got two-wheel drive. It's a truck. I can do this. And I'm driving through this field and right in the middle of the field, I'm going with Benji and Pastor Brent and they're like, whatever you do, don't stop. And I'm like, what? And then we're stuck. So we're stuck, but we're like, hey, this is okay. Again, we are, we are genius, geniuses with this type of thing. Everyone knows that. And so Benji looks over at that shack and he runs over and he steals a couple of boards off of it to put underneath the truck. This is going to help give us some type of traction. And it doesn't. It gets us deeper. And we, as we're getting deeper and deeper and they're getting out to try to push. I'm like, Brent, you and Benji go push. They try to push. These guys really need to start lifting because they were not strong enough to push my truck out. And I'm getting deeper and deeper. And now the, the water around the front wheels is getting like deeper and deeper. It's not just mud. It's now water that's coming around. And so we're like, we got to do something. And I'm, I'm panicking. Like, we're going to make it. We got to figure this out. I don't want to call somebody. Okay. I don't want to call somebody and have to explain, oh, why are we in the middle of the field? It's, we're having a talk, Jesus. But I it, didn't want to do that. And so I'm like, let's just go over to the nearest um, like uh, gravel road and get some gravel. And so like, uh, so I take off my shirt and I, we're like filling my shirt with gravel and we're like trucking it on over and we're like putting it underneath the backs. This is all before we've shot any video. And so we're like getting progressively more dirty and sweaty and disheveled and everything else. I'm trying, trying. This time it's going to work. This time it's going to work. And it's not working. 
And eventually we realized we needed to just make a phone call and, and call uh, Marvin Meinrich. Marvin um, is an NBCer and he owns an uh, auto shop in town and surely he'd have something. And sure enough, he did. He shows up. That's his vehicle back there. That's not um, Brent calling uh, Marvin back there. That's Benji um, texting someone about the fact that his pastor is a moron. And so, but, but Marvin shows up and he, and he goes ahead and he pulls the tow rope or he, it's a 150 foot length uh, rope and he pulls the truck right out and it was it was awesome. And we knew, and then we, we, we shot the video, and then we got back in the truck, and we're driving back to NBC and kind of laughing about it, because at that point, that's all you can do. And all of a sudden, there came a lull in the conversation. And Benji says, okay, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it. This was all my fault. I'm like, what? He's like, this was all my fault. And I, I really wanted to believe that. I really did. <laughs> Because I knew that at some point in the day, I was going to have to talk to Julie. And I would have loved to have said, Julie, Julie, it is Benji's fault. <laughs> Benji's like, it's my fault. I listened last week to Pastor Jason's message, and he talked about owning it. I'm going to own this. You know what? We got to the field. We were carrying all the camera gear out to the shack. And, and then I forgot that one audio thing that we had to go back in the truck and drive back to the church and get it and come back. And so if we didn't have to do that, we would have just walked all across the field on our own feet and not gotten stuck in the mud in the middle, middle of the field. It's, it, this is all my fault. As soon as he finishes talking, Brent in the back is like, no, guys, it's me. It's my fault. Let me, I just want to own it, okay? I listened to Jason too. Let me own it. This was my fault. We're like, Brent, what, how is it your fault? He said, well, when we went back to get that audio thing for Benji, on the drive back, I started complaining about my shoes and how if I would have known we were going to be, you know, hiking through mud and water, that I would have worn better shoes. I've got holes in these shoes. My socks were going to get wet. If I wasn't complaining, we would never be in this predicament. And again, I wanted to believe that so bad because that would have been a, a, Julie, it wasn't only Benji's fault. Brent too, totally his fault. But I'm like, Julie, let's be honest. I mean, I, I said to the guys, let's be honest. We know whose fault this is. It was my fault. I said, let's drive. You know, we'll save your shoes and we'll get closer to the shack and drive right to the field. It was me who got stuck. And I'm, I'm still thinking about, okay, so now this is on me. And that was right around when Julie called. And Julie says, hey, what are you doing? Um... Well, we were just shooting a, a video for the real life groups. It's going to be out in a couple of weeks. It's, it was really uh, super cool. Oh, where was that? Uh, that shack on the way to Morris. It was, you know, I always wanted to do it, but it, but it was there. And, and she just kept on asking questions. I knew it was going to come out it's sooner or later. So this is a pretty routine thing for Julie and I. I just said, listen, no one had to go to the emergency room and nothing's permanently damaged, okay? <laughs> and she said, oh no, what did you do? Errol, did you have a crazy idea and drag your staff into it again? And I'm like, ah. So when you're in small groups and you get to that week, when you get to the, the actual uh, video and you say, man, that shirt looks a little more disheveled than normal, it's because it was used as a wheelbarrow. And if you look at my arm, you're like, man, Errol got some sweet tattoo ink on him. Nope, it's mud. <laughs> And that's what that is. Now, we've been in this situation. We, we know what this is like, okay? You have been in a rut. And that was, I mean, when you're driving through a field that looked all level, but then all of a sudden your tires goes, and it gets, starts sinking, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to, to be, feel like, look, everything that I'm trying to do is not making this better. It's making it worse. I'm getting deeper and deeper. And the one thing I want to do is not get outside help. But outside help is the only thing that's going to rescue me from this. There's got to be a force that is greater than the depth of my stupid decision that can actually pull me out of this. And, that, and that's our reality with Jesus. But 
as much as that might be a part of your testimony, I think that most of us here, if you're a Christian, we can relate to this, but we can relate a lot more to just sitting on a beach. And actually, that's more, more accurate to what we're talking about with Jonah. I love the beach. Beaches are great. And in this story, it has a beach. You have Jonah who ran away from God. God says, go to Nineveh. He goes the opposite direction towards Tarshish. He's on a boat. There's a storm. Ultimately, in order to satisfy God and and, and get the storm done, the the sailors chuck Jonah overboard. He falls in. God provides a great fish. And we don't know if it was a a great shark or a a whale shark or a whale, but it was something massive enough to, to chomp him without destroying him. And all of a sudden, after three days, within the period of three days, he comes to a point of repentance surrenders himself over to God's will, and that that fish pukes him onto the land. Jonah then goes from the beach to Nineveh. Here's the thing. Jonah, in the midst of the fact that he is not, he is not someone who looks like a great role model. Jonah is not somebody that we say, oh, we want our little kids to grow up and be like the guy that's represented in this book. He does one thing that a lot of us fail to do. He He has one shining moment, I think, where I'm like, that. That's what I want us to capture. That's what I want to live out. That's what I want you to live out. And that was when he's on the beach. You see, he doesn't stay on the beach. In your notes, I've put um, the fact that we can look at the beach as salvation. He's sitting on the beach. He could have just stopped there and just said, this is amazing. I was saved. I was delivered. And now I'm here and I'm on the beach. And he could have stayed there on the beach, basking in the fact, I'm so, so grateful that I'm saved. I'm so thankful to God for, for bringing me out of that situation. And then he could have just planted himself on the beach and stayed there. But he didn't. He got his tail up off the beach and he started marching towards Nineveh. Something he did not want to do. Something that scared him. Something that he was, he was up, up in arms about. But he did it. That's what we often don't do. Oftentimes as Christians, what we do is this. We say, I just want to be on the beach. I just want to stay here. I want to, I want to bask in the fact that I'm saved. I want to thank God for the fact that I'm saved. I don't want to get up off of this and go actually do what God's calling me to do. What God's calling me to do might be too difficult or whatever. And actually, there's some really good reasons for us to disobey God and stay on the beach, just enjoying the fruit of our salvation. And here's a couple of them. Here's what keep us, keeps us on the beach. One of our excuses and rationale is that I'm too young. I'm too young. And this could be physically I'm too young or, or like I'm, I'm just a kid or a junior higher or a high schooler or I'm a young college, I'm a young adult. Or you could be 78 and have the same excuse. But it's basically saying I'm either too young in my faith or I'm too young as a person. I'm, I don't want to like, if I like start sharing my faith with people I go to school with, I'm so young in my faith, what if I say something wrong and I cause that person to stop believing? That's on me. And then I feel insecure and inadequate. And there's a thousand things in life that tell me I'm insecure and inadequate. I don't need this as another one. I just want to stay on the beach. I'm going to let this type of, like, obeying God and, like, representing him with the people around us, I'm going to let that, reserve that for the professionals, the pastors, the missionaries, the people in my row who actually, like, know where to find Jonah when the pastor says to open up to Jonah. Those people are qualified. I'm too young. I'm too young to do it. Another excuse outside of being too young is it's been too long. Listen, there was a moment, there was a moment in my faith where things were, like, red hot, like, I actually wanted to know about God. I, when, I, when I came to church, it was something that I felt revitalized by. When I got to the Word of God, it was something that was, was, was powerful. 
And I don't know what happened, but something happened along the way where life happened or we got busy or, or life events changed and, and all of a sudden things were, were a lot more difficult or precarious or this happened to my family or this happened to my friend. And right now I, I'm not bailing on God. I believe in him with all of my heart. But to be honest with you, that was great. I just can't do that anymore. It's been too long since I was actually listening and obeying God. I feel like it's so out of practice. I just want to stay here on the beach. I just want to enjoy what God has done in my salvation. It's too young. I'm too young. It's been too long or it's too tough. There, many people have the experience of, listen, I was on the beach and I got up and I did what God wanted me to do and it blew up in my face. I shared my faith with someone and they asked me a, some hard questions and looked at me like an idiot and I got branded with that for a year. That cost me a lot. Or I, I actually felt like I needed to forgive someone, so I did. And then I called him up and I told him, listen, in spite of everything that's happened, I want to let you know that I'm, I, I forgive you. And that person told me, you don't need to forgive me because I didn't do anything wrong to you. And I got, I got more angry than I was with this person to begin with. I have gotten off the beach and followed God, and it blew up in my face. It's too tough. It, too young. It's been too long. It's too tough. Or maybe I've done too much. You know, in my world of people and friends at school or at work or whatever, I'm known for a lot of things. Following Jesus is not one of them. I've established a pretty good you know, a group of people that are around me that have community with me. And me saying I, anything about my faith or following Jesus overtly is not something that I've done. I don't want these people that I love to look at me like I look at some Christians, the biggest hypocrites in the world. I don't want to be that person. If I right now, in spite of the fact I've said all these things or I've done all these things, start now following Jesus, I'm going to be looked at the way that I look at those people as a phony I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that type of person. And so these are all excuses that we believe that keep us on the beach. You know what? I just want to come back. I just want to retreat back to the beach where I can enjoy the fact that I'm saved. I can enjoy the grace of God and forget that God didn't save you just to be saved. He saved you for something else. See, if salvation, sal salvation is a, is a neat theological word for just the fact that God rescued us. He rescued us from our sin. That's the beach. That's Jonah on the beach. Getting up off the beach and walking, that's sanctification. And that's a fancy theological word for everything God wants to do in your life after he saves you. He doesn't save you, so you plant yourself on the beach. He saves you, you're on the beach so that you can get up and walk from the beach and follow him doing what he's called you to do. Now that's an action plan. We need an action plan for that. And Jonah gives us a picture of what this looks like. Because again, in spite of the fact that Jonah is a terrible example for a lot of stuff, he's an amazing example of this. And here's the first step in that action plan. Realizing that you were saved for a significant something by a supreme someone. Realize and, and psychologically get this in your head that you were saved for a significant something by a supreme someone. And if, I, I hope you notice how vague I'm being here. I don't know what that significant something is for you. I don't know what God has called you to do. You know, for, for you, it might be something where God wants you to actually be honest about your faith with the people that you do the most life with outside of your house or outside of the church. 
For you, it might be actually stepping in and defending someone who's being marginalized and you see that happening in your world and no one else is speaking up for this person, but you can. For you, it might, leaving the beach might not be doing something. It might be walking away from something or someone. Whatever the case would be, that significant is something is part of why you were saved. You were saved for a significant something by a supreme someone. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love that, that, that last part. Let's say that again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now that's, okay, now that might just be like, okay, yeah, what, seriously, what, you're making a big deal about nothing. What are you talking about? That tells me that Jonah screwed up. And yet, this patient God comes to him a second time. Yes, you did screw up. Yes, you're walking with that. But I'm coming to you a second time. I saved you, not just for you to be saved, but for something special and significant. I did that. God, I did that. And honestly, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, I mean, think about, let's just like, just cleanse our palate and think about Monday morning, whether it's school junior high, high school, college, or it's, it's going to work. I want you to think about what would happen if you actually did what God wanted you to do there. And I don't know what that is. Again, I'm being very vague here. What would happen if you actually tomorrow, uh, Monday, you actually did whatever God wanted you to do? What would that cost you? How difficult would that be? What would that mean? Now, if you're anything like me, you've messed up. You've disobeyed those things, those calling from God. And what this verse says is that God comes back to us a second time, realizing that you were saved for something significant, a significant something by a supreme someone, and it would be too much for us. But listen, 1 John 5, 4 says this, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. That doesn't mean that, oh, I'm, I'm always victorious and everyone like just thinks that everything I say is the most inspiring. Everyone at work, they were far from God, but now they're really close to God because of everything I, I do. No, what this means is that the weight of the world which keeps you believing that you have nothing to say, the weight of the world that keeps you in the mourning of the, the depression, the, wor- the weight of the world that keeps you thinking that you are disqualified is actually overcome by the fact that you're connected to Jesus. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, Jonah gets his tail off of the beach and starts walking to Nineveh because he knew he was marching into Nineveh with God. He was not going it alone. And because of that, he got up and he went. Secondly, the second part of our action plan is trusting that God will even use the stink of our past sin for his good purpose. God will even use the stink of our past sin for his good purpose. Take a look at verse 2. God says this to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Okay, so let's pause here. The plan, the program for Jonah is the same. Okay, he now has a lot more distance to go to Nineveh because he's went so far the opposite direction. But he's, he's got a 200-mile hike to go to Nineveh. But the plan is the same. Go and preach to them this message. Repent or God's going to overthrow you. 
And so it's almost like, okay, nothing has changed here. But if you're Jonah, if you're honest with God in that moment when you're on the beach, you're saying, God, listen, I, I, I listened to Pastor Jason too. I own it. This is my deal. I know that this is all my problem, that I'm now in this predicament. But things have changed since when you first called me to go to Nineveh. Things have altered in my life. Do you realize that I was in a great fish for three days? Do you understand what that physiologically does to the human body, God? Do you have any idea? This is not Pinocchio where you have this cavernous room where you can have like a candle and you see your father Geppetto come in. That does not happen in real life. I am in a space that I could physically barely survive in that amount of time. I I, I have limited amount of oxygen. God, do you know what happens to the human brain when oxygen is limited? Do you know sitting here on the beach, what types of things are physio, my equilibrium is shot my speech, because of my, the, the fact that I had a less amount of oxygen over this period of time, my speech is altered. You want me to be a messenger? I can barely talk. And not only that, I'm not swimming around in like water. I'm swimming around in stomach acid. I used to be so beautifully tanned. I had a beautiful Mediterranean brown going on. And now I'm bleached like an albino. I am the whitest kid on the block going into Nineveh looking like a freak. Where my skin isn't falling off, it's bleached white. And where my hair isn't falling out, it's now white as well. I can barely talk. I look like something from The Walking Dead. And I'm going in to be your ambassador? Who's going to listen to me looking like this? Fascinating thing. 300 years, 300 years after Jonah goes to Nineveh. Lots of people are like, I don't know if I could believe the, the Jonah account because I don't know if it's historical. 300 years after the Jonah account, a Babylonian historian and priest starts to record things that have been handed down religiously. 300 years after Nineveh, a story had been developed that everyone had talked about, this one event that took place, and he records it. The historian... Um, is a guy named Barassus. And Barassus said this, there was a mythical creature that emerged from the sea and came to our people to give divine wisdom. He came as a representative of God. Now some, um, after 300 years, they had evolved the story into this, maybe this was the sea god Ea or something like that. But the most curious part of the whole account that Barassus um, records is that he gives this person that emerged from the sea a name. The name that he gives them is Oannes. Now again, this is in the Greek age, Greek Hellenistic age when he's recording this history. And the interesting thing that in Greek, Oannes has an I. And Oannes with an I is Ionis. And it happens to be one of two New Testament words that we use for Jonah. A historian, 300 years after the fact, is describing some amazing miraculous thing where this fish story person comes into town to give us account from God. Now, I need to ask you just a a logical question. How difficult in a massive city would it be for an uninvited guest to have an impromptu meeting with the king? That person must have had something freakishly important to say or freakishly impressive about them that caused people to talk. Jonah is someone that you smelled before you saw him. He stank. He was sitting in three and a half days of stink marinating for his Nineveh opportunity. Not only that, he looked like someone from the gods. He did not look as human as others did. And I think it's fascinating that even though that was the effect of his sin, he would not have had that 
had he not gone through that whole situation, God was in fact able to use the stink of his past sin for his good purpose. This is the amazing thing. If you obey God or not, God's going to use your life for him. But we can trust that God will even use the stink of our past for his good purpose. And this is just a marginal side. This is even in your notes. And our good benefit if we follow him. Which means that if we choose to use our life and say, okay, this all happened. And I've been running away from this and I've been, I've been, I've been trying to bury this. But this all happened to me. And, I, and actually use that for God's glory. He could do amazing things. I want to tell you about a friend of mine um, named Kenji. Uh, this is a, a, from an a, a account of his life. Kenny Kenji Gallo is one of the most unlikely gangsters in the history of the American underworld. Born to a Japanese-American family in Orange County, California, Kenny was a bookish, hyperactive suburban kid who lived a double life as a car-bombing, gun-toting, international drug trafficker, one of the top cocaine smugglers of the West Coast. In the words of journalists like Luke Ford, Gallo led his own crew, which was aligned with Pablo Escobar's drug cartel. He owned his own nightclub, produced porn movies, and was arrested for the murder of his own best friend all before he could legally drink. When the police cracked down on his drug trafficking empire, Gallo abandoned the cocaine trade for the life in the American mafia, making millions in credit fraud, pump and dump, stock fraud, gambling, extortion, and the porn business. After, after over two decades as a violent gangster, Gallo voluntarily made a deal with the FBI in 1996 to act as a wired-up undercover informant against New York's Colombo and Lucchini's mafia families in exchange for a fresh start in life. And he was given the code name Breakshot by the FBI. He then, um, after, after coming out of that life, um, the Discovery Channel did a uh, documentary on him called Flipped, A Mobster Tells All. And then he was on Spike TV's Deadliest Warrior. Um, he served as an expert to the FBI for the inside of the mafia. He becomes an MMA fighter. And then uh, he retires from MMA and he starts to train other MMA fighters. Um, but he was still searching he, get, he falls in love with this girl named Anne. He gets married, and both of them still searching. Um, he's now like make, making tons of money as a uh, physical trainer to MMA fighters and Hollywood celebrities in Hollywood, making tons of money and still searching. And one night, he felt like God wanted him to go into this um, Christmas Eve service in San Marino, California, and he goes in, and as soon as he walks in, he felt like just this weight lifted. And he felt like God was talking to him. And, 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 just, and as people are singing Christmas carols, he just started to cry. And he surrenders his life to Jesus from that moment on and starts attending church and growing in his faith, he and Anne both. And then after a life like that and a conversion like that, he did what anyone else would do. He moved to Manuka. And he started attending Manuka Bible Church with his wife, Anne. And they sit every single 8 a.m. service right in the second row, right over there. Every single week, he's here. And, and he's, he's actually, he's doing that, that real with God stuff. And now he's, he's getting into the real with each other by he and Anne being in a small group. Which, if you have a past, is kind of awkward. Because, he, like, you know, I say, oh, so where did you grow up? Well, in California. Oh, really? All right, that's fantastic. What'd you do? Well... <laughs> And, and now he's starting, as, as he's been coming to Manuka Bible Church, to utilize the giftings and of God, that God's put on his life. He's not running from the past. It's part of the trophy of what God has done in his life and is still doing in his life. He um, got, had a chance to talk to Celebrate Recovery and share his whole story 
um, he's, we're finding ways to plug him in wherever we can. And he's actually, um, I don't know if your kids are in part of Echo Midweek right now. It's so cool. Um, they get like a Bible study with two skill sets. Next uh, semester, he's gonna, he and Ann are teaching uh, self-defense as one of the skill sets to kids. And my kid's one of those kids. So my kid gets to be trained by an MMA fighter. I don't know if it's going to do any good, but it's still cool to say. The thing that I love about that is that Kenji has recognized that our story as Christians recognizes that we fall and we fail and there's consequences, obviously, but that those consequences don't brand us for life. That, that, that what we've done in life isn't something that we walk in forever. And if you're, if you're someone who's a, a Christian and you're like, okay, well, that's, I get it. You do some bad stuff. He did crazy bad stuff before he was a Christian. But when you're a Christian, my problem is not that. It's like after I've been a Christian, I've made stupid mistakes. I, I've done things that I knew were sinful. Or I got into patterns that weren't, weren't from God. What do I do? Because I feel like I'm doubly disqualified. And to you, I want to say, no, Okay. We have this opportunity to continue to come back and realize that, again, God goes to Jonah and gives him the word a second time. Come back. Come back into this. What secret sins have kept you on the beach? What secret sins have kept you on the beach? Realizing that your marriage didn't end up the way you thought it would, or your kids didn't end up the way you thought they would, or life didn't end up the way that you thought it would? Is your forgiven sin doing anything for God's glory, or is it just stinking up your ability to get off the beach? The dark parts of your past haven't done you any good. What if you let them be used for God's glory? Amen? That's grace. Third thing that Jonah does is he counts the cost, knows the cost, and goes anyway. This is a bad, this is bad advice for anyone who's doing anything other than following God. Knowing cost and realizing you can't afford it and doing it anyway. If you're someone's like, you know what? We should get our family to go to Disney World. We can't afford it. There's no way, but let's go anyway. That's bad. That's dumb. Don't do that. If you're someone like, oh, like, I can't afford this car. There's no way I can afford this car. I'm going to buy it anyway. We do that and we feel awesome for like 15 minutes. And then the weight of what we've just done goes like, oh no, what did I do? We do this all the time. And it's bad. It's not wise, except when we're following God. Take a look at what happens in verse 3. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Jonah has a long time to count the cost of what, what he's actually doing. He's got a 200-mile hike to get to Nineveh. And so he has to realize that if I'm going to get up off the beach and start walking to Nineveh, and, but that's going to be one part of it, but then I get to Nineveh, and I've got to trek through this city for three days, giving an unpopular message, being looked at like a freak, because let's be honest, I am a freak now. It's who I am. Look at me. Smell me. I'm a freak. I get to do that. I have to count all of that as something I need to grapple with before walking in and doing this. If you choose to get off the beach, if you're a Christian and you choose to get up and actually follow God's lead, it will cost you. At minimum, it's going to cost you your pride. But it could cost you friendships. It could cost you popularity. It could cost you your reputation. It might cost you your job. I don't know. Again, I don't know what God's called you to do. But for a Christian, a follower of God, even look at Jonah, he gets up off the beach and goes anyway. It's very much like um, John Calvin talked about this in, in the, what happens in, in a Christian's life. He says this, We must now also take notice 
how Jonah attained so much strength. It was because he had found by experience in the bowels of the fish that even amidst thousands of deaths, there's enough in God's protection to secure our safety. Hence, and this is great, I love this. Hence, the more anyone has found the kindness of God, the more courageously he ought to proceed in the discharge of his office and confidently to commit to God his life and his safety and resolutely surmount all the perils of the world. Which basically means that we could say, yep, this is going to cost me and I'm going to do it anyway. I know that it's going to cost me. And I could sit and I could, the worst thing you could do is say, I'm going to start following, I'm going to get up off the beach and start following God when? When I start reading my Bible more, when I, maybe if I stop doing some of these bad habits, I'll do it in a week. That's all garbage. It's not going to happen. You got to get up and do it. You got to get up off the beach and start following his lead now. You will talk yourself out of it otherwise. But the thing that John Calvin was saying is, the more that we understand the kindness of God to us, the more it stokes up our courage to actually step into the life that he's called. Jim Elliott was a Wheaton grad. He, he went to Wheaton in the 40s. And he felt like God wanted him to go to Ecuador to reach the, like the furthest most tribe that didn't know about Jesus. And everyone's like, you can't go to the savages. That's so crazy. And he's like, look, you call them savages just, just because they're not, they're not American, they're not white, and they don't dress like you. But let's be fair, even the people, the tribes around them that don't look like us and don't wear the clothes like us would call the group that I want to go to savages. In fact, that's what they've titled them, the Alkins. The Alkins means savage. I want to go to those people. I want to share Jesus with them. And everyone told him it was insane and it was suicide. And it was insane. And it did end up becoming suicide because just four years into his work there, they killed him and four of his friends. Young guy, 20-something dude. And everyone would think, what a waste. What a waste. He could have gone someplace safer and lived a lot longer and told a lot more people about God. But he knew what God wanted him to do and he knew that it was going to cost him and he went anyway. And people couldn't figure it out until they started, after he died, reading his journal entries. And on, on October 28, 1949, just a few years before he actually went, when he was planning this trip down to Ecuador to, to live down there and minister down there, he writes this very famous phrase, and I don't ever want you to forget this. This is amazing. He writes this in his journal, contemplating whatever, all the pushback from the haters of the idea, contemplating all that, he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain. Oh, pardon me, to, to, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He understood that what he wanted to do and give for God was something that would cost him greatly, but it's all God's anyway, so why not? And I get something in return that I'll never be able to lose, which is the obedience of God. I love that. I love that. Jonah is no morality tale, not in the traditional sense of the word. But that one moment where he gets up off the beach and he actually goes is something that we need to emulate. A good friend of mine here at the church, Jeff Turner, um, uh, he just turned 40. And some of you, to some of you, that's ancient. You're like, oh man, can you even like walk at 40? Gosh. Others of you, like 40 is like, man, that is like, I remember when it was 40. So long ago, I could walk. I could run. Here's the thing that we need to remember about, about Jeff. This, uh, he posted this on Facebook. I love this. 
He writes this on Facebook right when he's about to turn 40. As the last day of my 30s comes to an end, which sounds like a funeral, doesn't it? It really does. Let's be honest. As the last day of my 30s comes to an end, I can't help but think how my life has changed. The words, nice catch, Turner, now refer to my son, Peyton. And great run, Turner, refers to my daughters and how I now weigh every risk, risky decision on how sore I will be in the morning. The next 10 years will involve driving, boyfriends, girlfriends, college, some good things, some bad, and many other unforeseen adventures. I don't know if I'm ready for all of this, but it's coming if I like it or not. The unknown can almost be paralyzing. I don't think I would ever make it through an unknown future without a known God. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I hope the rest of my days, whether good or bad, are lived in a way that points towards him and that the name Jeff Turner will be remembered in what he did, not what I did. Amen? If you're a Christian, that is your story. Whether you verbalize it like that or not, that is your story. What he did, not what I did, is what motivates us on the beach to stand and to start walking, knowing it's going to cost us. Now, here's the thing I love about, I love Manuka Bible Church. I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. This is what I love about you. This is a church full of people who struggle. And the thing I love watching is how you struggle to continue to say, listen, I'm going to get back up off the beach and I'm going to start walking and doing what God has called me to do. It's him who's empowering this, not me. I'm going to stop making excuses and I'm going to start going. And you, we've all made the excuses. We've been in seasons of excuse making, but you continue getting up off the beach and returning to what God has called you to do time and time and time again. And people in your world, at your work and your family are being changed. We've seen people who've been far from God in your family start showing up here, start connecting to God here. And that's amazing. I love that. I love watching that. Now, some of you might be saying, I am a Christian, but that is not my story. I'm barely on the beach. Well, for you, Let me encourage you with the encouragement to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to you a second time. We are people of the second chance. We are people of a God who continues to come back and say, step into this. Come back to this. Don't make excuses. Don't listen to the haters. Come back in and start following because this life of grace is about what I have done for you, not what you could do for me, but I have created you for something far greater than sitting. Walk. Amen? When we get to a point as a church where we forget that, we have this amazing thing. We, we won't go through the week and we get beat up and battered and those excuses start to rise again and that's just in time for us to come gather again as a body of Christ. Here on the weekends, we get a chance to sing loud and learn together, to be revamped in such a way that we go back out in the world and say, I'm off the beach. I'm off the beach and I'm going and I'm following God. I'm stepping into the sanctification of what he wants to do. And if we forget it, we come to a place of the communion. We're in communion. We get a chance to re-remember what this is all about. 
the very simple truth and very simple story that he gave his body and his blood for you and for me. Now, as a church, what we do is this is our ritual on a monthly basis where we leave our rows on the left-hand side. If you're a Christian, this is for you. There's tables in the back and the front. We go on both sides of the table so we're actually seeing the people that we're taking communion with. We don't take communion at our house. Uh, we don't take communion at Starbucks in isolation. We actually do this together. We do it as, as a fellow journeyers following Jesus together. And you take the, the, the bread and the cup back to your, ta- your, your chair and you sit and you repent. And you think about that distance that you have between you and God and say, God, am I just sitting on the beach enjoying my salvation or have I stepped into the adventure of what you've called me towards? Spend some time in repentance because no matter how far the distance feels, communion reminds us that he broke that distance and came into proximity. God became man and bled and died for you and for me. We'll take the bread and the cup together in just a few moments, but get them and spend some moments together just in contemplation and repentance. Do that now.